Welcome to Draft Countdown. I'm Scott Wright from DraftCountdown.com. And I'm Shane P. Hallam from DraftTV.com. We have a very fun show planned for you tonight. We're going to talk about some potential scenarios in the top 10 overall now that the, the draft order, at least the top of the draft order for the 2015 NFL draft is actually set. And we're going to start it off right away with a guest. We're going to bring in an old friend uh, uh, from Pewter Report, Scott Reynolds, to uh, talk about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who uh, I guess you could say earned the number one overall pick in this draft. Another disappointing season for the Bucs. Uh, Scott, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Hey, I appreciate it, Scott. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. I'm looking forward to getting your insight on the Buccaneers. And, uh, of course, I think we got to start at that quarterback position. And I guess what was your perspective with how they handled their quarterback situation this past year? Because to me, it was kind of mind boggling when they go out and they sign Josh McCown, who's a a journeyman in his mid to late thirties. And they immediately name him the starter. Uh, I I just think that was mishandled from the getty up. And did you kind of feel that way too? Or or what were your thoughts on the way they handled their quarterback position this year? Yeah, you know, Mike Lennon has some shortcomings, but I thought he had a pretty good rookie season throwing for 19 touchdowns, uh, you know, really despite an offensive line that, that wasn't very good. And, uh, of course, Tampa Bay spent a lot of time revamping the offensive line, and it didn't prove to be any any better this year, uh, shuffling uh, Anthony Collins in at left tackle for Donald Penn and getting rid of Davin Joseph and Jeremy Zutaw and getting uh, Logan Mankins in their left guard and center Evan Dietrich Smith from the Packers. Um, but, you know, I, I was a little surprised that Josh McCown was named the starter right off the bat. I understand why Levy Smith did it in terms of him being the veteran who has some experience uh, with the head coach, uh, and he wanted to settle that locker room right away uh, and say that this is the guy we're going with. But in, in my opinion, I think that, that kind of backfired because what it did was it didn't really create the competition necessary, and it put – Mike Lennon for the second year behind the eight ball in terms of not being uh, the guy to share starting reps in training camp in the preseason games. And to his credit, he came in and won that Pittsburgh Steelers game, uh, but then really behind that offensive line that was uh, a bit of a sieve and pass protection, he struggled just as much as as Josh McCown did. I think McCown made more mistakes. Uh, But really the pivotal point was when they went back to McCown that signaled to me and to others who cover the Buccaneers, despite what Lovey Smith said, that Mike Lennon is not the quarterback of the future, and this team will, in fact, be drafting a quarterback this year uh, and probably trading Mike Lennon on, on uh, draft day. Well, that's a perfect segue into my next question is, they have the number one overall pick. Is is it a, a, a lock or close to a lock that they go a quarterback there? Is it just a matter of which quarterback they prefer? Uh, might they go in a different direction? And, and if it's going to be a quarterback – which one, Mariota or Winston? Well, you know, we'll see if Winston actually declares, and really if Mariota declares too. I, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if if Mariota declares, um, and I wouldn't be surprised if, if Winston wants to stay at Florida State since he's a redshirt sophomore. However, I think that that both of those quarterbacks, when you look at at the fact that the top two teams in this draft, the Buccaneers and the Tennessee Titans, they both need quarterbacks it would really behoove both to come out because I don't see how um, they wouldn't go one-two in this draft, uh, given the fact there's not a lot of great passers. If Connor Cook stays uh, at Michigan State as expected, Cody Kessler stays at USC as expected. Um, 
So I think both of those guys would be there for the taking. I, I do know that the Buccaneers at this stage aren't in love with either one of those guys. And, and for Winston, it's all the off-the-field stuff they're going to have to investigate um, and really get a beat on his character. You know, the Glaciers uh, handed a lot of money over to Josh Freeman, who didn't really have any character problems at Kansas State, but really became kind of a, of a party guy in Tampa and, uh, you know, and, and, and got into some trouble there uh, that really kind of derailed his NFL career. And, and so, um, you know, with a guy like Winston who has some growing up to do off the field, do they really want to, you know, spend another number one pick on a, on a franchise quarterback, give him a lot of money, and then have him do something off the field to derail his career? You know, that that's really a question that the Lasers are going to have to investigate. And then with, you know, with with Mariota, he is a guy that has a, a, a crystal clear image in terms of, of being a, you know, a quiet, you know, Hawaii kid. Um, but there's things the Buccaneers don't like about him. Uh, he has kind of a milk toast, uh, you know, vanilla milk toast personality. He's not a type A fiery guy like, like you would want to see you know, in a, in a Tom Brady, a Drew Brees, a Brett Favre, a Peyton Manning, he doesn't have that take charge assertiveness. Um, and he's kind of a system guy. You know, he's a guy that, that the, you always hear about this Oregon system, this Oregon offense, um, whereas Jameis Winston is a pocket passer, and pocket passers still rule the day in the NFL. So um, it's really kind of deciphering, you know, Winston's off-the-field stuff, because I think on the on the field, I think he's the best quarterback in this draft class if he comes out. And well, I, I think I, the Buccaneers would think so, too. Well, and I totally agree with you. I think you just if you take the character stuff out of it, I think Winston is clearly the superior quarterback. So I, I, yep. I'm interested to hear, based on what you know of the organization, both the front office and the coaching staff, do you think they'd be inclined to embrace the the risk and challenges that come with Winston seeing as how he is potentially a special player at the game's most important position, or do you think they are, they would be more inclined to be gun shy and go with maybe a safer option, at least character wise in Mariota? Well, I tell you, I, I think that, that when you look at Mariota, if you're going to go that route, you really have to take the offense uh, from Oregon and bring it to Tampa Bay or a modified version of it. And I think that that's the real question mark is, is would Lovey Smith, a conservative type of coach like that, uh, would he want to, um, you know, to have a uh, an offense where it features a running quarterback as much as a, as a passing quarterback, and, and have that that you know quarterback run game uh, element that really has made Mariota special uh, at Oregon? If you really dissect Mariota's uh, pocket passes, you know he is an above average pocket passer, but he is not elite. And, you know, he, you look back at the Rose Bowl, he missed some wide-open receivers, uh, including one that could have been a touchdown. And those are throws that I think Winston has made more of uh, in his, his Florida State career. So uh, one thing Levy Smith said, too, that is a, a clue and a key to this whole thing is, is while, you know, he's going to be open to maybe investigating the spread offense when looking for a new offensive coordinator, uh, he feels those types of quarterbacks, it's only a matter of time before they get injured, you know, running the ball. And we, we've seen what happens, you know, to the likes of a guy like RG3, you know, where he has been hurt, you know, getting outside the pocket on some runs a couple times in his career already. So I, I think that, that Winston being a pocket passer has the edge, but it's all going to come down to uh, the, the the investigation of the off-the-field stuff. And I wouldn't be surprised either if, if Philadelphia now 
you know, with um, Chip Kelly having all of personnel powers, you know, if he wants to go make a, a blockbuster deal, you know, the Buccaneers need more than a quarterback. And if it's a blockbuster deal that includes a slew of number one draft picks over the next couple of years, they could set their franchise up, uh, as well as multiple picks in this year's draft, it can help immediately. I think Jason Light for the Buccaneers would really have to consider that package uh, because there is more than just one hole. But you do need a quarterback, you know, to win. And I think if they loved Winston, uh, James Winston at the end of this process, they would, you know, stick and pick him uh, or Mariota if, if that was the case. If they don't really love either one of these guys, then I think they would be inclined to trade well, Scott, I know you're going to be talking about these quarterbacks until you're blue in the face probably for the next three and a half months. So, so let's let's kind of switch gears. Let's say I don't like either of those guys, and and whether it's off the field, on the field, kind of combined. Um, and let's say trading down off the board if if the the deal isn't coming in for those multiple first round picks. Who who else could they look at, or what other positions you think they could look at? Does it match up with players that are worth a number one overall pick and, and players that fit? what Tampa Bay is doing, what you expect them to do, especially offensively in uh, the next year. Well, i tell you what, if that's the case, if they can't trade down, if, if they feel like both of these guys, if they don't feel like Mariota is going to adapt well to the NFL, if they don't feel like Winston, uh, if they don't feel the comfortability with this off-the-field stuff and his character, uh, and they have to, to stay at number one and pick a guy, I think you're, you're going to look to the defensive side of the ball. I think that Lovey love Smith, uh, you know, being a defensive-minded head coach, uh, is going to want to add some more pass rush to that that defensive line. And Leonard Williams is a guy that flashed uh, very much against Jason Light's Nebraska Cornhuskers, and he is also a player that can play defensive and and tackle and gives you a tremendous amount of versatility on that defensive line. You can put him inside next to Gerald McCoy on obvious pass rushing downs. Um, he could be your starting left defensive end uh, in a four-three defense. So. I think that he's the guy you have to look at. Also, you have to look at Randy Gregory and the fact that he played uh, at, again, Jason Light's alma mater in Nebraska. Jason Light has watched an awful lot of Randy Gregory uh, in terms of, of a scouting div and also from the alma mater perspective. So, um, you know, he's a, a pass rusher that, that I think is going to be, you know, in, in the top five, and he could go number one overall. I'm assuming he's going to test well. I don't think he put up the type of production that uh, people had expected maybe a double-digit sack season. But offensive coordinators paid an awful lot of attention to him. So I think either Williams or Gregory could be that surprise number one pick um, if the Buccaneers can't trade down and don't really fall in love with either one of these quarterbacks at the top. Well, I guess my final question, I know we're a ways out, but I'm going to put you on the spot. What's your gut telling you the Buccaneers are going to end up doing? Do you think it's going to be one of those quarterbacks? And if so, which one? Do you think it's going to be a defensive lineman? Do you think it would be a trade down? What do you think is their inclination at this point in time? And and I guess following that up also, what what is kind of like the fan perspective? Are, are they all in? Do they all want Mariota? Are they want Winston? What's kind of the, the pulse of the fan base on the decision? Well, I'll start with that because that might be the most interesting one out right there <laughs> is, uh, you know, Jameis Winston has, he's a polarizing figure. And, um, and even down here in Florida, you know, you have your Gator fans who just can't stand the guy simply because he was a Seminole. And if they're a Buccaneer fan and a Gator fan, they're going to have to swallow hard, you know, to accept him as their quarterback. But then again, you know, 
Warwick Dunn and, and Derek Brooks became fan favorites, even to the most diehard Gator fan who was also a Bucks fan. So I think that that would kind of pass quickly. Um, but the thing is, the Lakers have to look at a, at a guy that, that is special and can fill up the stadium. And I think it's a 50-50 split between Mariota and Winston now. But, um, you know, how many Oregon fans are there in Tampa? I think that when they kind of got this team on the rise with Tony Dungy, they did so by drafting a lot of players from the state, the Warren Saps, the Derek Brookses, the Warwick Duns, the Reedale Anthony's, the Jacquez Greens from Florida, Florida State and Miami. Those those schools really helped infuse the Bucks with some talent and, and really made them watchable uh, and drew in the fans. And I wouldn't be surprised if, if the Lasers wouldn't want to have that kind of home home state guy in Jameis Winston um, to come down from Tallahassee to, to play quarterback for the Buccaneers. I think he's a pocket passer. Gosh, you look what he did in his his debut game against the Aaron Donald-led Pittsburgh Panthers, you know, um, when he was a redshirt freshman. He steps in right off the bat, completes 25 of 27 passes. That's 92.6% for 356 yards and four touchdowns, no picks, and a rushing touchdown in an opening day win. And then the guy goes on to win, what, 29 straight games, uh, wins the Heisman, takes them to the national championship. Uh, and wins it with with a uh, you know a last minute drive. Um, I don't know what else this guy on the field doesn't have or is missing from his game uh, that NFL scouts uh, and, and, and talent evaluators could want. I, I think that on the field, I think he's the best player in this draft if he comes out. It's just that off the field stuff that has to be thoroughly investigated to make sure this guy has learned some of his lessons from these you know sophomoric uh, behaviors that he's uh, engaged in, and also a pretty serious one, too, with, with the the allegations of, of sexual assault um, that were proved to be not true. But I, I, th- I think if I'm the general, general manager for the Buccaneers, I'm picking Winston, and I think right now the team might be inclined to do so. But you know what? There's about, what, four months to go in terms of evaluating these players, and uh, it's it's going to be, a, a, I'm sure, a back-and-forth affair for the Buccaneers and other teams as they are trying to f- figure out which quarterback best suited for their team coming up in the draft. I, I agree. I think this is going to be one that goes down to the wire. Uh, and, but before we let you go, I want to let give you an opportunity to let everybody know where they can read you and follow you. Yeah, I appreciate that. You know, we've been covering the Buccaneers. This has been my, my 20th season covering the Buccaneers. ReporterReport.com, where we have a, a pretty extensive off-season look at the Buccaneers. We focus a lot, uh, as you know, Scott, on the draft and free agency. You know, we'll be covering the East-West Shrine game right here in our backyard in St. Petersburg, and then I'll be seeing you in Mobile, Alabama, at the at the uh, Senior Bowl. Um, so, if you're a Buccaneer fan or, or a fan of, of any of these college players that might be drafted by the Buccaneers, we encourage you to check out ReporterReport.com. You can also join over 16,000 followers we have on Twitter by logging on to Twitter and typing in at Pewter Report. Awesome. Scott, thank you so much for the time and the insights, and I, I we're probably going to be checking back in with you uh, at least one more time before draft day, if that's all right. Hey, let's do it. That, that sounds like a good time. I appreciate the invite, guys. Thank you. All right. Thanks so much. Thanks, Scott. Thank you. And be, and be sure to check out pewterreport.com. Uh, if you're a Buccaneers fan, you already probably go there religiously. And, and if not, if you're looking for insight on Tampa, 
that's the place to go. They are the authority on the Buccaneers and uh, known Scott for a long time and uh, just does a tremendous job of covering them. But uh, Shane, uh, let's just talk for a couple minutes about, uh, about, about Scott's discussion. And, uh, you know, I, 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 if it were me, I would take Jameis Winston, and I understand the concerns. I understand the risks, and and more often than not, I think you know, Shane, over the years, I'm a little leery with guys with character concerns. I just think when you're talking about Winston, it, it, it's worth taking the chance. I think he's a special enough player that it's worth taking a chance. And let's face it, Marcus Mariota, it's not like he's Andrew Luck. It's not like he's the sure thing. I mean, uh, there's risks involved with him too. Different risks, but risks nonetheless. How is his game going to translate to the NFL? So uh, if I'm the Buccaneers right now, I guess I'd be leaning towards Jameis Winston. And honestly, I'm going to be incorporating underclassmen into my rankings after uh, the, the deadline here in a couple of weeks. And I got to say, I think I'm leaning towards having Winston ahead of Mariota. Um, uh, what are your thoughts? I, I think that Winston is the better talent overall. I think he fits more of that pro style offense as well. And I think something that's interesting about the Buccaneers is that they really can gear what happens next for them toward what quarterback they want at, at number one, assuming Winston declares and they have their choice of both. They don't have an offensive coordinator right now. They they were right. barely running an offense at the end of the season because cause they, cause Jeff Tedford left uh, with the, with his health issues and whatnot. So you have the choice where you, if you want to draft Marcus Mariota and uh, play it a little bit safer from a character pr- perspective and hire an offensive coordinator, and Scott mentioned this, to play a little more wide-open style and let Mariota do what he does best, you can do that. And uh, – to me, I think that would be the smarter overall decision, and, and I'm not as down on Winston's character issues as a lot of people. I think, Scott, you and I have talked about that, that I think the sexual assault uh, allegation is a big thing, and that didn't result in, in him getting arrested or charged or whatever those circumstances were. Um, so I, I don't know. You have to talk to Winston. You have to talk to both of these players and make that decision. If Winston checks all your boxes when you interview him, I'm with you. I'm, I'm with Scott. I think they go with that. If not, then I think you gear up um, your offense. You can gear up your team for Marcus Mariota and hire an offensive coordinator and install an offense that works to his advantages and really build this around him. You have a great, great, great young receiver in Mike Evans who, with Odell Beckham's great year, even got a little bit overlooked. Um, And I think they can build around whichever quarterback they pick. But if I was them, I think you kind of have to plan out who you want sooner rather than later and really build your offense around who this franchise quarterback is going to be. Yeah. And they really do have an incredible opportunity in front of them because like you said, they don't have an offensive coordinator so they can kind of shape their system around whichever quarterback they prefer. Uh, But this, I mean, this is, a franchise altering decision for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They need to get this right or it's going to set them back a long ways. So it's going to be a real interesting. Uh, and, and and so is the number two overall pick. And, and, and as uh, Scott said earlier, it kind of, I mean, 
both Marriott and Winston. We're, we're kind of assuming they both come out, but there's reports that maybe Winston isn't a sure thing to go pro, so we'll have to wait and see. But certainly the top two teams in the draft order have issues at the quarterback position. Uh, and, and next up, we're going to talk about the Tennessee Titans, and I actually pre-recorded an interview with Jim Wyatt of the Nashville Tennessean, uh, 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 the authority, uh, the, the, the main beat writer for the Titans to get his insights on uh, on their plans and their intentions. So uh, I'm going to run that interview right now, and then we'll come back afterwards, and we will discuss uh, what Jim and I talked about. So here. The Tennessee Titans wound up with the number two overall pick in the 2015 NFL Draft. Is it a foregone conclusion that they're going to go with the quarterback, uh, whether it's Marcus Mariota from Oregon or Jameis Winston from Florida State? Is that going to be their top priority with that choice, or do you think they might look in another direction? Well, I mean, their top priority is to make sure they're good at the quarterback position and they might made the right decision at the quarterback position moving into 2015. That doesn't mean they're taking a quarterback with the second overall pick. I mean, and here sitting here at the 1st of January, if I had to bet on it, I, I would bet that they would ultimately decide to stick with Zach Mettenberger as their starter moving forward and then see what is out there in the draft where they can get the best player in another position of, of need. This, this is a team that's filled, uh, that, that has all kinds of needs uh, on both sides of the football. And, uh, you know, looking at Jameis Winston, looking at Marcus Mariota, not so sure either one of those guys fits what Ken Wisenhunt wants to do. And Zach Mettenberger does. And he has a little bit of experience from playing in 2014. So the, the people who are just automatically uh, putting a quarterback into the Titans' number two pick are making a mistake, to be honest with you. Now, certainly they will investigate both these players will evaluate them closely they'll do their homework on them but um, just because you know they're picking number two doesn't mean they're taking one of those quarterbacks well you mentioned mettenberger can you maybe talk a little bit about what are the organization's thoughts on mettenberger and his development and how much of a role did ken wisenhunt have in selecting mettenberger is that kind of his hand-picked guy or was it or was he kind of the driving force there or can you maybe just talk a little bit about where they stand with Mettenberger? Well, I, I think Ken Wisenhut and, and Rustin Webster, the general manager, I think both of them liked, you know, Mettenberger's talent. I know they, they evaluated him leading up to last year's draft and went to his pro day and went to had a workout with him and, and talked to him at the combine, just like they did a lot of guys. And uh, I think they were both on board with if this guy sticks around and is there in the later rounds, we're going to take him. And he ends up dropping all the way to the sixth round. And uh, at that point, to be honest with you, I think it was a no-brainer for him. I mean, they, they had not taken a quarterback at that point. Mettenberger was a guy that you know had a, a pretty high draft grade on him, certainly a lot higher than the sixth round. And it was one of those, hey, what have we got to lose type deals picking in the sixth round. So they took him. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, the way things started in 2014, they were going to give Jake Locker a chance to play and uh, improve himself. You know, he got hurt a couple of times. They finally decided that they couldn't wait any longer. They gave, you know, Charlie Whitehurst a chance to start a couple of games, and then they eventually decided, hey, we've got a guy in here you know, that we just picked in the draft. You know, we need to find out what we've got in him moving forward. That way, we'll be better prepared going into the next off season and. Mettenberger, when he played, he didn't win a game, but he certainly showed some promise. He's got a strong arm. 
he, he did everything right as far as studying and being in the facility early in the morning, last to leave at night. He's kind of a no-nonsense football guy. And uh, he, he kind of did everything that they wanted to see from him. Uh, so now the question is how does he compare to the Mariotas or, or the Winstons and is he a better option moving forward? And uh, they were definitely impressed by what they saw with Metberger, you know, end of two and 14 season on a bad football team. I mean, and, and I think they probably realized that if things were better around him, he would have looked even better. In regards to Wisenhunt, what degree of influence do you think he's going to have on the quarterback decision, whether it's be taking someone at two, sticking with Mettenberg, or doing something else? Is he going to be the driving force? And the reason I ask that is because he's kind of had trouble with that position. That was kind of his downfall in Arizona. He could never find or settle on a quarterback. And here his first season as a head coach in Tennessee, he went through three of them already. Uh, how much influence is Wisenhunt going to have in uh, is there confidence within the organization for, with him being involved in that decision, considering the track record? And, and obviously he's a, a good football coach, and there's no question, but his re- track record with quarterbacks is a little bit spotty as a head coach, so I'm just wondering about his influence and, and what role he's going to play in the decision. Well, he is going to have a, a big role in it. And, and, you know, in general, Russell Webster uh, has called the shots around here the last three years. And I think with, uh, you know, when Mike Munchak was this team's head coach, you know, there was no question that Webster was making the call and Munchak was, was working with what he was given. And I think when they hired Ken Wisenhunt, uh, I think there's certainly more of a feeling that, that those two guys are working together more on personnel. And, uh, you know, Rusty Webster probably still has the final say on most matters, but I do think that because of their working relationship and because of Tim Wizard, you know, this is his football team. He has to find the right players to be successful, and, and certainly he is, you know, has been around a heck of a lot of quarterbacks. I think he's going to have, you know, I don't want to say the trump card, but I think if, he, if this is the guy he wants, if he wants to go a certain way, I think that Rusty Webster will will agree with them, and uh, I think they'll reach a, you know, a conclusion together. Uh, you know, I, I think, you know, you mentioned Ken Wisenhunt's track record with quarterbacks. I mean, he has been around some good ones, you know, and they had some success with, you know, with Kurt Warner or Philip Rivers or Ben Roethlisberger, but, yeah, he has had a lot of other guys who have kind of failed under his watch last thing he probably wants to have happen is to bring in a, a rookie quarterback and have to start over with him and, and go through that process again. I mean, he can't afford to do it after a 2-14 and 14 season. So that's why Mettenberger makes more sense to them because they can build around him. They can they know what they've gotten him. They can work with him the entire offseason. And it's, you're not necessarily starting back at uh, square one if you stick with him. Let's talk for a second about Florida State quarterback Jameis Winston and his off-the-field troubles have been well-documented, and I think it's especially important with the Tennessee Titans because the the experience they had with Vince Young. Let's say Marcus Mariota from Oregon goes number one overall, so then the Titans are looking at Winston. Do you think they would select Winston considering the experience they had with Young where his career was kind of derailed by off-the-field issues? Do you think they're going to be gun shy, or do you think they would pull the trigger on Jameis Winston despite that? Yeah, 
I think they'd be gun shy. I'd be, I'd be very surprised if they if they were in a position to take Jameis Winston and they took him. I mean, you, you mentioned the bench young. I was around here for those years, and and I see a lot of uh, not necessarily similarities with how they play as much as how their college days went and the kind of perception whether it's real or not that you know that that, that James Winston was in an environment at Florida State where he was, was coddled and he was people made excuses for him and he uh, got by with a lot of stuff and uh, and really was not held accountable to a lot of crazy stuff that went on while he was there and that was similar to what happened with Vince Young during his college days, not necessarily from off the field standpoint, the issues he had just as much as he was going to do things his way and no one really kept him in check and it was a nightmare when he got into the league. Certainly Vince Young had his moments uh, and under a different regime you know, keep in mind with Jeff Fisher and Floyd Reese when they when they drafted Vince Young back in 2006 but you know, Vince Young had his moments he was NFL offensive rookie of the year his first season uh you know, he had some other moments in taking the playoffs in 2007, but eventually things just kind of blew up on the Titans because Vince Young wouldn't, you know, wouldn't put forth the proper work. He wouldn't listen to his authority, and uh, his, his career eventually fizzled out. I mean, you're you're talking about a different person and a different player in Jameis Winston, but it's just eerily, you know similar if you ask me, and there's just too much risk involved in taking a guy like that. In the second, you know, with the second overall pick, so I can't see the Titans doing that. I and mean, I think they, I think if he was sitting there, uh, I can't see them. I think they would pass on Winston and go with, go somewhere else. Well, and that was going to be my last question. If they don't go quarterback at number two, what do you think are going to be their top priorities? And maybe even a little further down the line, second round, third round. What are the other needs in Tennessee outside of potentially quarterback? Well, they need pass rushers in a big way. I mean, they need uh, they need an edge rusher. Uh, they need more help on the defensive line. They need help in the secondary. They need a receiver, uh, again, uh, despite taking some early in this draft. You know, they need more help on the offensive line. They're not going to take an offensive lineman with the second overall pick, but certainly down the road in this draft, they've got to start to, uh, you know, fix some things there where they've made some mistakes uh, in free agency. So um, they've got all kinds of needs, and that's why it makes it a lot easier on them if they don't go quarterback and they go other positions. And just which order, I guess, uh, will be up to where they think the best player is available. But uh, I think I think right out of gate, I think they got to look at upgrading and adding more players to the defensive side of football. Excellent. Awesome insight. Uh, before we let you go, can you let us know where we can follow you and read you? Yeah, follow me at uh, t- you know, com is uh, the newspaper I work. Jay White, that Jay White Sports is my Twitter handle, and uh, certainly we'll keep you up to date with uh, all the Titans news. Excellent. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the time. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And, of course, we want to thank Jim Wyatt from the Nashville Tennessean for coming on and uh, talking a little bit about the Titans. And, and, and there again, this guy is the authority uh, when you're talking about that team. So make sure to uh, follow him for all your Titans needs in the coming months. But, uh, Shane, uh, like I mentioned, I had pre-recorded that, so that was the first chance you've even had a, you had to hear it. Uh, I'm interested, what were your initial impressions and takeaways? 
I think the big thing, and we, we do this a lot as as people that follow the draft, a lot of times want to slot those quarterbacks into into the top two, and especially in this class, as, as we just talked about with Scott at Peter Report, it seems like if you need a quarterback, you better take one in the top two. But it was really interesting to me to hear Jim talk about how quarterback might not be the highest priority, and if uh, if Tennessee's sitting there, Winston probably is not a focus for them. If Mariota's gone, that they're got to look elsewhere. And, and that trust in Mettenberger is really interesting. I don't think a lot of teams, we would say year two, they're going to put their trust in a six-round quarterback, a guy that didn't win a game for them when he started. But he made a lot of great points about knowing the system and getting into that system and how much that they actually liked him in last year's process. Uh, that was incredibly insightful. Um, so, uh, don't just slot quarterback dose whoever you have not going number one in for the Tennessee Titans at two. Um, and there's a lot of different other ways that they could go, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, I, I thought that was really interesting. And, and I don't know if the Titans can necessarily pass on a quarterback and feel like they, Zach Menberger is the franchise guy. You don't know when you're going to pick at number two again. So uh, that, that's a really linchpin pick of this top ten. Does Tennessee take the QB? Do they not? And if they don't, are they going to get that shot at a franchise quarterback again if it's not Zach Mettenberger? Um, it's it's going to be this this is going to be the biggest decision of this Titans franchise, I think, in a long time. Yeah, and kind of two things stood out to me. And the first one would kind of concern me if I were a Titans fan, and that was the the the. the uh, and, and like I say, Jim is plugged into the Titans organization. He, he knows what they're thinking. He's been covering them for a very long time. So he, I, I think he has a pretty good read that they like Mettenberger. And, and that would concern me because, you know, how I always say, Shane, that the golden rule of the, the NFL draft is unless you already have a franchise quarterback, you shouldn't pass on one. And did Zach Mettenberger, does he have talent? Yes. Did he show some flashes as a rookie? Yes. Did he show enough to make me feel comfortable passing on a Mariota or Winston? Absolutely not. Uh, and and the reason it would concern me is, are they just going to pass on a quarterback for the sake of familiarity, just because Mettenberger's a year further along in his development and because Wisenhunt's already worrying about his job, they're going to go with the status quo rather than doing what's in the best long-term interest of the organization. So that was my first takeaway. And then the second thing was, I mean, you listen to the interview too, Jim sounded pretty resolute that they would be gun-shy with Jameis Winston. He didn't really even hesitate. And and like I said, I mean, he's plugged into that organization. He knows, I think, how how their thought process, and, and, and they are probably still stinging over that Vince Young situation. So, um I mean, it, it almost sounded de- – I don't want to say definite, but he si- he sounded pretty darn confident that the Tennessee Titans wouldn't be taking Jameis Winston. Did you get that impression as well? Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like this this front office and, and now with Ken Wissenhunt as the coach, that character is playing such a major, major concern um, for them. And then there's a, a number of organizations in the league that I think character is far and away – um, far and away on their map when you talk about first, second, third round picks that even some, some uh, looking into some issues and not being sure, George kind of nicks it. And I, I thought that was a great question, Scott, that you asked uh, concerning Vince Young and the history that they have with those type of issues. 
might might make that a more resolute thing. And that sounded like what Jim was leaning towards. I mean, that's tough. That's tough because you look at the rest of this quarterback class. I don't think you're finding a guy in the second round and the third round that you're going to take and feel confident is is going to be a franchise quarterback or feel very confident that, uh, you know, we got to steal. This is the next Russell Wilson or someone that can pop up. So you're going to go with Zach Benberger for another year. If he struggles again, let's say you don't have the number two pick. If you have five, if you have seven, um, then you have two years of losing football. You have to start over with another quarterback, and you might not get the best or even the second best guy at that point. Uh, it's, it's rare for a team to get the number two overall pick or the number one overall pick, and you have to use that well, and, and that golden rule at quarterback is a big thing. There's going to be a great player there for them in some position uh, if, if they don't go QB. But if, if you don't have the quarterback, I mean, look at, look at the playoffs this year for the NFL. Every division except the NFC South, the best quarterback won that division. I, I don't even think there's a question. Um, you need it. You need that to compete, and, and that's not something the Tennessee has right now. I, I would be a little bit afraid. I can understand their thinking, but I would be a little bit afraid to just write, completely write Jameis Winston off the board uh, because of what you've, you've heard so far. And, and if they do their digging and really make that decision of what, how they feel about him as a person, it might matter more. Well, and, and I can always make a case for USC defensive lineman Leonard Williams. Uh, I think he's a blue-chip talent. I think he's an elite player. I think he's the best player in this class. But with that said, boy, I mean, regardless of what the Titans do at the quarterback position, whether it's sticking with Zach Mettenberger, whether it's drafting Mariota or Winston or something else, I think it's fair to say that whatever they decide is certainly Wizenhunt, and, and to me, their GM Weber as well uh, uh, would be putting their uh, their jobs on the line because if it doesn't work out, you got to fix that quarterback position and and, and if, if they stick with Mettenberger and it doesn't work out, sayonara. That's probably the end of the line. I think actually going with the rookie quarterback might give them, especially Wisenhunt, a, a little more a little more rope and a little more leeway. Whereas if they stick with Mettenberger, that's going to be a controversial decision, and if it doesn't work out heads are going to roll. So, and, and like I say, I mean, you can make a really strong case for Leonard Williams, too. They're, they were 31st in the league, second to last against the rush. They were middle of the pack in pass defense. They were middle of the pack in, in, in sack production. They, they certainly need help at defense, but as much as I love Leonard Williams, he's not going to fix what ails the Tennessee Titans. If they don't find a quarterback really soon, it's it's gonna it's gonna be a cataclysmic thing for a lot of people in that organization. But uh, uh, let's move on. Well, we have a lot of other teams to talk about, and at number three in the draft order, we have the Jacksonville Jaguars picking number three overall for the second year in a row. Last year they got their quarterback, at least they hope, in Blake Bortles. Uh, so now I think the Jacksonville Jaguars are still in that situation where. They need to be looking best player available. Uh, we know they're not going to be taking a quarterback at number three. So if if Winston or Mariota were there, maybe there'd be some uh, trade options available. But otherwise, I think it just comes down to who's the best player. Uh, and and that, that's kind of been the Jaguars' philosophy. Even a couple years ago when they took Luke Jokel at number two overall, I, I don't think that was 
a consensus that that's what they were going to do. They just had him as the highest rated player on the board. So that's the direction they went. And uh, I think that's what's going to come down to this year too. And, and particularly on defense, I, I think if Leonard Williams were there, I think that would, if, if I'm the Jaguars, that would be a no brainer if he falls to three, but if Leonard Williams is gone, then I think you start talking about Randy Gregory from Nebraska, Shane Ray from Missouri, somebody who can apply some pressure off the edge. But, uh, um, I, the Jacksonville Jaguars, I think this is truly going to be, and it's a cliche we hear from a lot of teams, and it's, I think it's disingenuous a lot of times, but I think this is a case where uh, they truly would and probably should just take the best player available um, uh, other than probably quarterback, right? Absolutely. They have to do it. And the Jaguars, though they're picking third, I kind of felt like they played better than that. I know at the beginning of the season it was that they're one of the worst teams in the NFL, and they, they were. But towards the end of the season, they were playing close games against good teams. The defense was stepping up. Bortles was inconsistent, but he definitely flashed the physical talent that they have. Um, Denard Robinson played well for them. Yeah, I thought the offensive line improved, but still needs some work. So they have a lot of holes, but I think there's also some bright spots there. And really, when you're picking third in this this specific draft, I think the best player available will be on defense. I'm with you, Leonard Williams, Randy Gregory. Get more pass rush. Pass rush. Uh, and I think the back end of the Jaguars team can hold up if they have more pass rushers or guys that can clog that middle and help one area of the game. I really think those two players uh, are, are are the guys at this point. And then if they, there's someone else that pops up or, or does better, I think ab- absolutely they should just take the best player available three. Yeah, and I, I guess if I was going to throw out one other possibility, it would probably be the offensive line. I think they still need to shore up the offensive line, but are you going to take a, a right tackle at, at number three overall? And, and even if you're willing to make that investment, is there somebody that's uh, an offensive lineman that's worthy of the third overall pick this year? It's debatable. I mean, I, I guess the guy you'd make a case for is Andrus Pete from Stanford, and, and he and Joko would be a couple good bookends. And, and I suppose for what you have invested and how much you have riding on Blake Bortles, you can't go wrong in that regard. Um, it, it would be more of a need pick than a value pick if they go offensive line. But, you know, that's another area that I think they that's going to have to be a priority that they need to shore up. But um, I, I think the Jaguars are probably hoping that the first two picks are Mariota and Winston and then that because they don't need a quarterback and then that kind of in a way if if the top two picks are quarterbacks in a way the Jaguars are kind of going to have the number one pick in the draft because they wouldn't be looking at those quarterbacks anyways exactly they are in such a good position by taking Bortles last year if they if because they have that belief in him they're going to get to pick a player of need and either be the first or second team to take that because quarterback's so highly valued. And, I, you know, I have to say for, for Jacksonville, I think they still are an up-and-coming team. And if they, they have built this team really well last year. They invested in, the, in Bortles. They invested in the weapons. They drafted two wide receivers. They seem to be just slowly but surely building each piece of this team. And this is going to be a really big year for them because I don't think you can pick in the top five for the third year in a row, if they lose again this upcoming season, 2015 season, then then you're going to start to really question. Yeah, and 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 they're going to need Bortles to play better. I mean, they're they're trending in the right direction. I think they're in a much better position now than they were a year or two ago, but. Uh, they need Bortles to play a lot better than he did as a rookie. And he struggled at times, which most rookie quarterbacks do. But 
boy, there, there's some uncertainty there. I don't know if I'd, I'd, I'd be sold that he's my guy. I, and they're certainly going to stick with him. They're, they're all in on Blake Bortles, but there's reason for doubt there. But, uh, but like we said, I, I think it's just best player available for the Jaguars. And uh, So let's move on and talk about the Oakland Raiders at number four overall. And, and they're kind of in the same position, maybe even more so than the Jaguars, Shane. I, I think that the, the Raiders, even though they're, pick, they're choosing one pick lower, I think they probably have more issues. I don't know how many guys – and I've said this before, I don't know how many guys on the Raiders roster that you can look at and say, that's a, a blue chip, long-term building block. We're solid there for the next five years, at least. It's a short list. You might only need one hand to do the count. So they need talent everywhere. And force, maybe a playmaker, a wide receiver, like an Amari Cooper from Alabama, who's the consensus top wideout in this class, and, and try to give Derek Carr a weapon. Or do you think they would lean more towards best player? And, and like I say, I mean they need, they need help. Not only do they need a wide receiver, but I think they need defensive linemen. I think Gregory and uh, Randy Gregory and Shane Ray would be in the conversation. Uh, maybe a, a, a safety like Landon Collins. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Raiders and what they're going to do? Because I, boy, I mean, I, I'd be tempted by Amari Cooper, and if you're going to go based strictly on need, that's probably the way I would lean. But if I'm the Raiders, I don't know that they're in a position where they need to be too concerned about addressing a need. They just need the best player. They need to find some building blocks. And, and, and this is, once again, going to be a really good crop of wide receivers. I think they could get a good wide, a really good wide out, not only in round two, maybe round three, maybe even round four. I, I, it's not going to match last year's crop of, of pass catchers, but it's still going to be pretty darn good. I, I guess I'd be inclined to pass on Amari Cooper, who I just don't view as a special wide receiver prospect, certainly not to uh, 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 what you think of with the top five overall pick. He's not Calvin Johnson. He's not A.J. Green. I don't think he's even Sammy Watkins. I think he's a notch below that. So I don't know if I'd force that need at number four. I think, uh, and I don't want to, uh, like I say, I mean, it's a cliche, but I think the Raiders and Jaguars are both in that position where you, you shouldn't be addressing needs. You just need to get good football players. They, they do need good, good football players. I can see them, I don't say reaching a bit, because I think in this class, Amari Cooper is pretty close to, to where he should go, uh, talking four to ten. Um, I do think top five, he's not that type of elite talent, but uh, I also think this, this draft at the top isn't super inspiring. Uh, you know, when we get outside of the quarterbacks and Leonard Williams and Randy Gregory, then I think you start to, to kind of shuffle things around and can grade these players equally, including Cooper. It is such a huge hole for Oakland. They don't have anyone. Uh, Andre Holmes is going to be a restricted free agent. Denarius Morris has kind of busted. Um, James Jones played well, but has not and never been a number one wide receiver. Uh, playmakers for Derek Carr is so important for his development. And if, if you're Oakland and you grade out, Amari Cooper as as a, a, a top notch player on that Sammy Watkins level, then I do think you have to take him. You have to get those best weapons for Derek Carr to try and develop him. Now we have seen Oakland move around the draft board a lot more than they did in the past without Davis um, kind of calling the shots. Richie McKenzie has been willing at times to move down, or sometimes they find a guy that they. Uh, you know, that they really like that maybe doesn't have the value at the top of the draft. Maybe there's another receiver, uh, Devontae Parker, someone they like more and can trade down. Uh, I think if you're Oakland, this, this, is, this is it. If McKenzie's staying and you get a new head coach, 
he has to have an imp- another impact draft. They had a really good draft last year. They have to, you have to have another one to really turn this team around. And maybe that's not number four if, if Leonard Williams and Randy Gregory are both gone and you don't feel good about taking Amari Cooper that high, this could be a really prime situation for them to uh, to try and trade down if a, if a quarterback falls or if uh, someone wants um, someone is in love with Cooper or Shane Ray or someone like that. It's, four is a tough pick. I think it's a tough pick to have depending on how the quarterbacks go because that's the one thing that Oakland doesn't need like Jacksonville. They don't need a quarterback. And so if those two don't go one and two, then maybe you can actually shop this thing. Well, up next at number five overall, we have Washington. And, and to me, Shane, this is the one, the pick in the top ten that is going to have me scratching my head the most in the coming months because, I, I mean, Washington could go in so many different directions. And I, I think any discussion has to start at the quarterback position. I, I mean, I don't know how you go into another year with both Jay Gruden and Robert Griffin. I don't. I, I just don't know how you keep the status quo there I think one or the other has to go I think you have to hit your wagon to one or the other uh and, and they might not even have an option I mean there's a very good chance both Mariota and Winston are gone by that point but let's start there let's say Jameis Winston falls to number five by some chance do you think he's in the conversation for Washington I mean he would be if I ran that 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 team but uh, I mean I think we have to start there you do. I I just can't see it. I can't see them them doing it. I think it should be in the conversation, uh, but this is a Redskins team with with so many holes and so many pieces to fill, especially on the defensive side of the ball and the offensive line. Uh, and they they were really bad this year. I, I would find it hard to if I'm Washington, you, you give up on on Griffin and you just just move on. And start over, especially when you're going to put James, especially when you're going to put Jameis Winston in a situation where I don't think it's a great offense and a great way to run the team. I, I don't think they do it. I think that's my final point. I, I don't think that they do it, whether it's in the conversation or not. I, even with the dysfunction that happened with a first-year coach, I don't think that they would pull that trigger. All right, so let's say they don't go with the quarterback at number five, then what do they do? Uh, you mentioned the offensive line, and, and I think that's an area they need to upgrade. Uh, but at the same time, they're they're still paying uh, – I mean, Trent Williams is a good player, and they're play, paying him left tackle-type money. He's 26 years old. He's in the prime of his career. And even if you want to go with an offensive lineman, is there – one that's worthy of the number five overall pick. Uh, I, I think that's debatable. Um, another option, I guess, would be Landon Collins, uh, the safety out of Alabama, who I think is a heck of a player, uh, probably a little early in terms of positional value, but Washington has shown in the past they've used top five, top six overall picks on Sean Taylor, on uh, Leron Landry, so it, it wouldn't be completely out of character for Washington to go that route. Um what do you think? If not quarterback, do you see offensive line and secondary as the next two needs on the pecking order, or do you see something else that stands out? What are your thoughts? I think those are the two big things. This is where if you're a Redskins fan, you just wish there was a blue chip corner that you can draft here. I think I think cornerback is still such a huge need. Bashad Breland played well. Uh, I think David Amerson is overmatched as as a starting corner. They need that number one stud type, and there's just 
no one in this draft that I would feel confident about taking this high if you're the Redskins. So Landon Collins makes a lot of sense. I'm sure he'll be mocked to them a ton in these upcoming months. And uh, offensive line, you you know what's going to be really interesting to me, Scott, is how did last year's class and success of Zach Martin, of Joel Batonio moving inside the guard and really changing those teams, especially the Dallas Cowboys, is that going to have an effect on how teams are viewing um, the offensive line position? Will people go for, say, Brandon Scherf from Iowa, who is probably going to move inside the guard and be one of those guys that, that like Zach Martin, is kind of a stud guard? I, last year I would have absolutely said this is way too high to take Zach Martin and do that. After seeing his impact, I don't know if it would have been, and I think that's going to be a question we have to ask too. Yeah, and I think Iowa's Brandon Sheriff is going to be the the test case to see how early he goes, and I think that's going to tell us the, the, the impact that Martin and Betonio have had on the draft. And the other point I would make, though, too, because, I mean, I, 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 I kind of think offensive line, but it, because if you're going to stick with your current quarterback situation, well, then at least protect them and give them the best opportunity to succeed. But at the same time, I think offensive tackle is one of, if not the strongest positions in this class, and I think you could probably get a top of round two. I mean, they're going to have a really early pick in the second round, you know. So, that, so that's another factor that Washington's going to have to consider. But uh, this is one we're going to talk about a lot more because I think there's just a lot of uncertainty with Washington, and and for me, they're the they're the team in the top ten that I'm kind of most interested to see what they do at this point. Uh, moving on, up number six overall, we have the New York Jets, and. Once again, here, kind of like with the Raiders, they need a playmaker. Now they're not as in dire straits at the rest of with the rest of their team as Oakland is. So maybe they can, maybe I don't want to say reach a little bit for Amari Cooper, but um, maybe they'd be more inclined to go for the need more so than just that best player available uh, because they don't have as many holes. And uh, they went out and they signed Eric Decker to a big free agent contract. Uh, they traded for Percy Harvin to be determined what's going to shake out there, if he's going to rework his contract and stay, if they're going to move on from that decision. Uh, but, but my initial inclination is you got to get some playmakers in, w- with the Jets. Uh, do, do you think you start with Amari Cooper? I mean, do you think there's a chance they could go with a running back this early? I mean, I, I'd, I'd be surprised, but do you think Melvin Gordon from Wisconsin or probably not Todd Gurley from Georgia due to the injury? If, Gur- if Gurley hadn't got hurt, I think he would have been in the conversation, but – um, I, I think Cooper is the logical pick, uh, at least on the face. And then I think, you know, you could even make a case for a running back. But I, I think their biggest need is they need somebody who can make some plays on offense and, and help out their quarterback, whether it's Geno Smith or someone else. They've just uh, really been have been devoid of playmakers. I don't, I don't think you could take a running back this high. Uh, but receiver, absolutely this would be a prime spot for Amari Cooper if he's sitting there. I think you would compliment um, Eric Decker pretty well, and you could use those guys in two different ways and in some of the same ways and not have to adjust a whole lot. And, and last year, remember, at this point last season, I, we were talking about Sammy Watkins as the stud wideout. Uh, Mike Evans and Odell Beckham end up, kind of rising up boards and and we knew of them and we're having conversations about their talent, but not necessarily talking top 10, top 12. 
I mean, it could happen again. We could see a, a Devontae Parker or a Kevin White um, really rise up the board and the Jets fall in love with one, one of the other receivers if Cooper's gone that they could take and stretch the field, maybe find someone that is really, really different from Eric Decker and try to find that playmaker, that deep playmaker um, like, like Parker or that big possession vertical receiver like Kevin White. Um, I, I think it'd be interesting, but I agree with you. I think that is the biggest need for them. I mean, I think you could look at the defensive side of the ball and maybe they could invest in a pass rusher, depending on how this team's going to change and then this defense is going to change. So we'll see what happens. Uh, that, that's the big thing with the Jets, that find some uncertainty systematically with the defense. Is it going to be the same as it was? Or are they going to change things around? So could you start looking at Shane Ray, at, at Vic Beasley, at Shaq Thompson, um, at some type of pass rush uh, ability to pair with some of the good defensive linemen, some of the best in the league that the Jets have? And, of course, the, the, the Jets are in desperate need of help at the cornerback position, too. But, once again, there just isn't a corner worthy of such a lofty pick in this class. But but you made a really good point, Shane, where um, w- there's still a big piece of the puzzle that's missing in regards to the Jets. And that's who's going to be their new coaching staff. And, specifically, what type of defensive system are they going to run? Are they going to stick with a 3-4? Are they going to maybe transition to a 4-3? And... I mean, I guess I'd be inclined to stick with that odd front because they they have guys who are, are suited for it and have been effective in it and have proven to be impact players in it, like Muhammad Wilkerson and Sheldon Richardson. But they also have the versatility where they could shift things up and, and put those guys both inside a defensive tackle and put Quentin Copels back down as a defensive end. So I, I, I think it's, it, we're still kind of in a holding pattern with the Jets uh, in terms of the defense, because we have to see how they're going to shape it going forward. But uh, uh, but I, I, I think though I think those are going to be the two big options. I think either a wide receiver or probably a pass rusher. And, and which pass rusher is probably going to be dependent on what type of defense they're going to run. Up next, we got the Chicago Bears at number seven. Uh, just been kind of a, a nightmare finish to the season for the Bears that uh, cost a, a lot of people in an organization their jobs and. Um, you know the Bears, Shane. This is a situation where the cupboard isn't nece- isn't necessarily bare. Uh, I think they have some pieces in place. Uh, certainly, they need to figure out what they're doing with Jay Cutler and if he's going to be their um, their, their long term uh, guy under center. But the, the guy who stands out here for the Bears, Landon Collins, the safety from Alabama, that has been a problem area for Chicago. Boy, I mean, we're getting close to a decade now, and they've tried. I mean, they've invested top 100 picks on guys like uh, Major Wright, on Chris Conti. Um, I know I'm missing another guy from uh, Oregon State, Savvy Piscatelli, somebody from Oregon State. I mean, uh, Brock Vereen last year, they, they just keep throwing draft picks and resources at the wall. They just can't fix that, that safety position. So to me, the guy who stands out for the Bears is Landon Collins. That's like a match made in NFL draft heaven, if you ask me. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Or, and do you, what else do you see as being an option for Chicago there at seven? Well, that's the, I think that's the dream. If you can get the best safety in this class and find a way to continue to improve that secondary who early in the season looked like was, was playing above their, their potential, um, but, man, the safeties were so bad, especially late. And you could just see Kyle Fuller, their first-round pick last year, trying to do too much after he came back from injury and just wasn't working out. They need that help. 
desperately at the at the safety position. I, I'm in agreement there. If Landon Collins is there, it seems that seems like the the slam dunk kind of easy pick if he's sitting there for the Bears at seven. Um, but if he's not. It's tough. I don't think the Bears are a horrible team or have horrible talent all the way through. A lot of players they've spent high draft picks on or that they've signed to decent free agent deals, I think they still could use uh, some more pass rush, the defensive line, inside or outside. And, and I think this is the area, and when we're talking about the late top ten, where if any of these pass rushers haven't gotten snapped up like Shane Ray, um, uh, Dante Fowler is someone you could use. Uh, we've seen the Bears – take kind of the Shane McClellan types and defensive end, outside linebacker, hybrid, try to find a place for them. Once again, we'll see if anything changes. When you have a coaching staff change, maybe this defense will completely change around and we'll be talking about different fits. But to me, I think pass rush and that front seven is a big concern, and that whole defense is just a big concern for Chicago. Yeah, I agree. If it's not a safety, I think pass rusher is probably the the, the, the next need in the pecking order with Jared Allen getting up there in years and uh and and like you said this is another situation where we have to see what type of defense are they going to run and and that that could determine whether they're looking at Randy Gregory or Shane Ray or Vic Beasley or someone else so uh but but the Bears for for picking in the top 10 they aren't as in dire straits as some teams they have some 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 building blocks already. They could get this thing turned around pretty quickly, I think. Uh, up next at number eight overall, we have the Atlanta Falcons, and it's probably an indictment of that organization. But they kind of have two of the same needs uh, that they had going into last year's draft. Shane, uh, they need a pass rusher and they need some offensive line help. I think potentially, although. Ryan Schrader did show quite a bit down the stretch. He might be the answer at right tackle, and Jake Matthews replaced Sam Baker at left tackles once he got hurt. So they might have their solution in Schrader at right tackle, but if not offensive line, I think pass rush. And I was floored last year that they really didn't address that position. Um, and they, they used a second-round pick on uh, Rashid Hageman, but that wasn't really going to uh, uh, be a guy who was going to b- apply pressure and really be disruptive. Uh, the Falcons have had a, a terrible pass rush for multiple years now, and they just don't seem haven't seemed inclined to even try to fix it, really. I mean, uh, at a certain point here, you're going to have to bring in somebody who can pressure the quarterback, and, and this, I think, might be the year, Shane. And, and, and the back end of the top ten, I think, is where we're going to have some options. Uh, maybe uh, Randy Gregory or Shane Ray, at least one of them, maybe one is available there, but otherwise, even the second tier, like you talked about, Vic Beasley from Clemson, Dante Fowler from uh, uh, Florida. Uh, I mean, that's going to be one of the strengths of kind of that middle portion round one is those pass rushers. So if I'm the Falcons, that's the area I'm zeroing in on really with the laser-like focus is a pass rusher. And same thing, this is a nice spot to be in. If you need that pass rusher, there is a lot of different options for your taste. If, if, there's a Shane Ray or Randy Gregory there. If they're gone, you have Vic Beasley, you have Dante Fowler. I think you can find pass rush in this situation. Um, and same, same deal with the Falcons. A lot of these top ten teams, we don't know who the next coach is. If it's, say, Rex Ryan, then then we're, we're talking about a defensive change, although they had kind of moved to a lot of the 3-4 looks last season. You know Rex Ryan's system's different, and then you can kind of tailor make maybe a pass rusher to that. But I almost think no matter who gets that job or what defense they're running, uh, I'm with you that that is a, a crucial, crucial piece for this team. 
And yeah, offensive line. Um, I, I thought Schrader played pretty well, but this this is this is an area that lacks just so much. There's not a lot of depth. It lacks depth, and it, they've had injuries on the offensive line for so long. I just, I just don't know who they could take here that could um, that could really fit the bill. So I, I'd have to think front seven is the ideal pick for. Uh, for the Atlanta Falcons, and, and maybe even linebacker becomes a possibility uh, with with Sean Weatherspoon has been injured now the past three seasons, and they, they just continue to need some beef in that front seven. Well, and, and like you and like you said, it, we have to see who they're going to hire too, because that's going to play a huge role in this decision. Let's say, for example, they hire Rex Ryan. Well, Rex Ryan in his pass rushers, he prefers the those bigger, lang- uh, rangier, length guys with length, probably be more inclined to, toward uh, a Randy Gregory more so than a Shane Ray or a, uh, a Vic Beasley or a player like that. So, uh, yeah, we definitely have to see what they do and the type of system they implement, and uh, that's going to play a big decision. But I, I think it's just going to play a role in which type of pass rusher they're looking for. Regardless, I think they're looking for a pass rusher. 4-3, four, 3-4, three, three, four, they need to, somebody who can get after the quarterback. Uh, up next, we got the New York Giants at number nine. Uh, disappointing season for them, obviously. They didn't expect to be selecting this high, but uh, at the same time, it's, it's an opportunity because I think they're in a situation maybe somewhat similar to, say, the Bears where, and even the Falcons, where I, I think they're they're better off than most top 10 overall type of teams there there are those pieces in place and 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 obviously the the Giants played better down the stretch once they got Odell Beckham uh into that mix uh uh but where do you think the the Giants are going to be looking here Shane uh because I mean it's it's a little tough to a certain degree because they they don't have a ton of huge glaring holes that you look at their depth chart and say oh that, that this is just awful it's not like with the jaguars or the raiders where you 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 can count them up really quickly i mean you got to kind of really look closely when it comes to the giants uh do you think I, I kind of think trenches, and, and that's been an area where they've prioritized in the draft, where they've invested. Uh, past couple years, they used a first-round pick on Justin Pugh, a second-round pick last year on, on Western Richburg. Will Beatty's a former second-rounder. Um, but then the defensive line, uh, especially the interior. There's a lot of rumors that maybe they're going to go after Ndamukong Sue in free agency. But uh, I, I think defensive line uh, – could be the the other option, but the Giants are kind of a tough team to get a read on. I, I think they're uh, along with the Redskins, maybe the, the the biggest wild card in this top ten because I think they could probably go in a a couple of different directions and and maybe they go best player available. I I think just based on sheer need, you look and say, well, linebacker, but that's been the case every year. They just don't prioritize or don't want to make an investment in a, 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 to fix that problem at linebacker once and for all. So I guess I'm not particularly confident they're going to go that route because it hasn't really been their MO, even though it's been a need for years. Uh, I guess I'm interested to hear your thoughts on the Giants because uh, they, they got me a little flummoxed, to be honest. I think they're just waiting for you, Scott, to finally not mock a linebacker to them, and that's when they're going to take them. See, they're, exactly they're just, what's going to happen. They've too. been waiting for you. <laughs> uh, it is tough because almost every position doesn't look awful. I don't think there's anything that looks awful, but I don't think there's anything that looks great um, or has a ton of depth. When you talk about the, the lines, especially the defensive line and, and the offensive line, um, 
I mean, they, they've, they've drafted some guys in the middle, Jonathan Hankins and Jay Bromley, um, but definitely need some more help and someone that can actually get after the quarterback. I think someone that can get that penetration. Jason Pierre-Paul just does not have that and can't, can't be the only option for that on the defensive line anymore. So that would be, that would be a slam dunk if they find someone that fits there. But I don't know if, if a lot of these kind of tweener pass rushers that I think will be available in the late top 10 really fit that for them. So it might be tough to find. I think offensive line, if I think if there's a team that wants to invest in kind of another, another, multi-purpose offensive lineman like Brandon Sheriff from Iowa at this, in the top 10, that this could be the team, you know, Western Richburg is center. They played him at guard and they, they have a lot of these players. Justin Pugh as a player that could play multiple positions seems to be kind of the way that this offensive line is leaning. Um, but does it make him a, a ton better? I don't think so. And then I'll finally say secondary. I don't know if a corner is going to emerge has a clear top 10 option in this class. Um, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm having trouble discerning who even it will be my top corner in this class. So if someone does emerge, then this could be a really nice spot for them, for the Giants. They've had injuries at the cornerback position. Um, Dominic Rogers Cromarty, they signed, did okay, but they really haven't had that other starter uh, this season. I think they really struggled to find that other starter, um, and, and that could be another investment they, they want to go back to making in the secondary. Well, and last but not least for this show, we're going to talk about the St. Louis Rams checking in at number 10 overall. And, you know, Shane, this is, the, this is kind of the worst-case scenario that we speculated about leading up to last year's draft when we said, boy, they've, got, they've had all these picks. They, they, they keep hitching their wagon to Sam Bradford. I think they've shown him an, a, an undue amount of loyalty. Uh, and, and once again, they, they passed on Blake Bortles, they passed on Teddy Bridgewater, they passed on Derek Carr, they passed on all these quarterbacks. And before last year's draft, we kind of speculated, Shane, we said, well, if they don't go quarterback this year, when's the next time they're going to be picking high enough to have a shot at a potential franchise quarterback? if Sam Bradford doesn't work out. Well, here we are again. Sam Bradford is more a more of a question mark than ever, and and that's really the one glaring need for the Rams. They, they have a good team. You look at their roster. They've had so many high draft picks over the past few years from that Robert Griffin III trade that you almost can't help but, but have a, a pretty stacked roster, and they do. It's just that one glaring, huge weakness at the quarterback position. But picking at number 10, I don't think they're going to have a shot at certainly not Mariota, and I doubt they're even going to have a shot at Winston. Uh, I mean, so what else do you do? I mean, maybe uh, they could do better at safety. Once again, Landon Collins from Alabama, I think, would be an upgrade there. But um, they've got some bodies there, a third-round pick in T.J. McDonald, a second-round pick in LaMarcus Joyner, a fourth-round pick in Mo Alexander. I mean, it's not like the cover is completely bare. They traded for Mark Barron. Uh, they could probably do better at the other linebacker spot, uh, upgrade uh, Jolon Dunbar. But, I mean, the other two guys there, Lauren Ice and Ogletree, are really good players. They've got four first-round picks on the D-line. They've invested heavily on the O-line. they got Jake Long, who's injured, but they've spent a lot of money on him. Number two overall pick in Greg Robinson. Uh, they, they matched a big offer on Roger Saffold last year. They certainly invested picks in wide receivers. I mean, it, it, they need a quarterback, but there isn't going to be a quarterback at 10. So what do you do? <laughs> a million-dollar question. I do 
in like every position I bring up, they just drafted someone there, right? Even safety, they just drafted Lamarcus Joyner there. Uh, all the guys that you mentioned, I, I have to think you have to invest in the offensive side of the football. Even if, even if you're going to stick with Sam Bradford, get some, something else. I know they've spent picks on wide receivers, and Stedman Bailey has has looked better, um, and he played well at the end of the season. Tavon Austin has looked a little bit better, uh, but I, I still feel Brian like Quick, if you Brian could, Quick was playing Brian, really well before he got hurt. Brian Quick was playing really well before he got hurt. So, like, I, I, I feel like, hey, maybe just, just toss something else at that wide receiver position um, if, you, if, you, if you really have – have to at number ten, and that's it. But there aren't those glaring holes. Maybe you could you could draft um, an offensive lineman, but I don't really see where an offensive lineman is going to start year one on this team. I, I don't see a lot of positions where a, a rookie in the top ten is going to start for this team in year one. And to me, that 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 becomes very tough. Could could it be a situation where you want to move down? I think it'd be nice. Maybe they take a running back at some point uh, to pair with Trey Mason, as, as Zach Stacey really didn't, didn't work out this year. But I, I'm with you, Scott. I, I am baffled about where they could go. Um, the only other option I see with some of the injuries that they had is to, to to look in that secondary, to take a corner, to take a safety, and really build, the, I think, the final level of that defense. Yeah, I, I guess gun to my head, I'd say another offensive lineman. But, I mean, I, I kind of think of the situation, Shane, where you go in to get a new car, and you get the, 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 the upgraded rims, you get the sound system, you get the fancy paint job, you get the leather seats, you get everything. You get in the car to drive it off, and, uh-oh, I forgot an engine. There's no engine in the car. The Rams have everything but the most important part. They don't have their engine. They don't have their quarterback. And, I don't know where they're going to get him this, because this isn't a very good class of quarterback, Shane. If, if, if you don't get Mariota or Winston, you're going to be it's, – it's kind of going to be a wish and a prayer. I mean, there, sure, there's some guys with some potential later on, but, boy, I, I don't know if there's going to be another quarterback in this entire class that I'm going to feel comfortable saying, yeah, I think this guy could be my long-term answer at the quarterback position. I, I just think the Rams have made a catastrophic mistake – by not at least bringing by not at least hedging their bets and bringing in some more options at the quarterback position over the past few years and and, and really just being so attached to the hip with Sam Bradford and, and like I said I just don't know what he's done to 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 bring upon that type of, of unwavering loyalty but uh, boy the Rams are in a really really tough position now because they they have so much talent at, at every other position that they're just not I just can't envision them bottoming out and being in position where they're going to get that surefire thing at quarterback they're they're in quarterback purgatory very much like the Cincinnati Bengals with Andy Dalton I think the Kansas City uh, Chiefs with Alex Smith where they're they're they have just enough where they're not going to be in position to get the elite quarterback that they desperately need uh I, I the Rams I I they they might not be too concerned about losing the Rams to to Los Angeles because I don't see how they're going to be able to fix that quarterback position anytime soon unless they get lucky. It's it's tough. It's really tough. I I would like to hear from some Rams fans and see what they really want yeah, for this team uh, other than that quarterback position. And and if if you think you can somehow still be successful, it's not like you can pick up a free agent quarterback either. Uh, it's not like they've got someone sitting out there. Um, rarely happens. And even if you can bring in kind of a journeyman, I mean, I thought Sean Hill played as well as any journeyman you're going to pick up. So I think you're kind of saddled with what they got. Then I would say – 
pounds Sam Bradford with with the best of everything, the best weapons of everything. Um, try to try to build a a Baltimore Ravens uh, Super Bowl 2000 caliber defense. They're going to have to find a different way to win a championship at this point. Well, yeah, if you're a Rams fan out there, hit us up on Twitter. I'm uh, at Draft Countdown. Shane is at Shane P. Hallam. Uh, if you're a Rams fan, let, let us know. What, what, what do you think they're going to do at number 10? Well, what, what should they do? What do you want to see them do? And, and really, that goes for all the teams we talked about. I'd be interested to hear your takes. You know, may, maybe you'll uh, come back at us and say, oh, you're crazy. They, uh, the team should be doing this, or you didn't consider this. So uh, we always want feedback, so uh, please hit us up on Twitter. Check out the message boards and uh, give us a little feedback. Let us know. Uh, so with that, we went a little long, but we're going to wrap up the show for the week. We want to thank uh, our guests, uh, Scott Reynolds from Pewter Report and uh, Jim Wyatt from the Nashville Tennessean for their insights on the Buccaneers and the Titans. Uh, and, and most of all, we want to thank everybody so much for tuning in. We really appreciate it. We are uh, It's hard to believe, Shane, we've, since we've been doing this podcast, I think we're over 1.1 million listens. Uh, I don't think we ever could have imagined that when we started this out. So we want to thank everybody for uh for, for being so loyal over the years and uh, you, you pass it along. Tell your friends. Uh, if you like what we do, give us a good review on iTunes. That always helps. We'd appreciate that. Uh, so with that, we're going to call it a show. Thank you to everybody once again for tuning in. And as of right now, there are 113 days, 21 hours, 29 minutes, and three seconds left until the 2015 NFL Draft. Tick-tock. <laughs>